Tere, and welcome to History of Estonia podcast. Episode 43, Theater of War, Part 1 of 2. In this episode, we cover the first phase of the war in Estonia. Last episode, we talked about what General Plan Ost meant for the Jews in Latvia and Lithuania. In this episode, we pick back up the book, History of Estonia, published in 1997 and authored by Tonu Tonberg, Ein Messelu, Tonis Lukas, Matti Lauer, and Ago Pajer. This book doesn't get into specific details of the Battle of Tartu that I find interesting, so I will use two sources for this brief detour. One is Between Giants by Preet Butar, which I have previously mentioned, and Tartu and the 1941 Summer War by Major Riho Rongelep and Brigadier General Michael Hesseholt Clemison which was published in the Baltic Defense Review No. 9, volume from January 2003. And I will leave a link to this article on History of Estonia's Facebook page if you would like to check it out for yourself. Prior to the war, there were about 4,000 Jews living in Estonia. Many Jews fled to the Soviet Union to escape the German advance. In the last episode, I referred to the German advance being held up at Daugavpils, allowing the Soviet Union time to reform their defenses. This very well may have given time for the Jews residing in Estonia to escape the German Eisengruppen, or more properly referred to as death squads. Of the roughly 1,000 Jews that remained in Estonia, all were killed by a combination of Eisengruppen A and local militia along with the Jews, the Romani that resided in Estonia, were also executed. At the time when the front had stopped in the middle of Estonia, military conflicts became more frequent, with Estonians participating on both sides. The Soviet authorities organized destroyer battalions in order to carry out scorched-earth tactics. When withdrawing, the destroyer battalions demolished industrial buildings, railways, and farms, and carried out raids and repressions. As a result of their activity, 2,000 civilians were killed. Besides communist and Soviet activists, workers and conscripts also belonged to the destroyer battalions. The destroyer battalions were opposed by Forest Brothers. Already in the autumn of 1940, People had begun to hide themselves for fear of being arrested. A massive gathering of people in the forest started after the June massive deportations. Opportunities were sought to become armed and to exact revenge. The long-term goal was to liberate Estonia. In the first days of July, Soviet institutions, Red activists, and smaller units of the Red Army were attacked all over Estonia. Extensive encounters took place between the Forest Brothers and the Destroyer Battalions. The Forest Brothers occupied several parish administrative buildings. Local administrative units, which followed the pattern of the years of independence, started to operate. The Forest Brothers played an especially important role 
in the Battle of Tartu. Unfortunately, the activities of the Forest Brother were often accompanied by unjustified terror. Here I will put a bookmark in the book, History of Estonia, as it doesn't describe most of the events in Tartu. I will briefly try and explain the events in Tartu before getting back to the narrative that the book provides. The fight for Tartu is not well sourced. During the days after the war, there were no opportunities to study this during the Soviet Union, since the communist government wasn't interested in studying this rebellion because it was an uprising against communist rule. It started as a popular uprising of students from Tartu University and the Forest Brothers, who were mostly men that had fled to the woods to avoid deportation by the Soviet authorities. The so-called Forest Brothers were hunted men with nothing to lose. So when the news that a German invasion was imminent, they took it as an opportunity to rebel against Soviet rule and also prevent the Soviet destruction battalions from destroying the city of Tartu and any other infrastructure that would aid the Germans. Prior to the uprising in Tartu, plans had even been coordinated with the local hospital that an upcoming battle would occur, which allowed the hospital to be prepared for the assault and to treat the injured. Many victims of the communist repressions of the summer of 1941 were detained in Tartu prison. Towards the end of June 1941, there were 619 prisoners. As the German army approached, steps were taken to empty the prison. But as the arrest continued, on the 8th of July 1941, there were still 223 detainees. In a meeting of the Estonian Communist Party Regional Committee, the Communist Party leaders ordered the remaining 223 prisoners to be executed. The Soviets knew that there would be an attack and worked towards demolishing the bridges that spanned the Imayogi River and also fortified their positions on the northern bank, using the river as the defensive line. On July 9th, the 157-year-old stone bridge was destroyed. At this time, the only Soviet troops in the southern portion of the city were the destroyer battalions and NKVD, whose job it was to destroy the city before the Germans would arrive. Ensign Olav Reintolu was appointed as overall leader of the resistance. And during a meeting in Estonian Healthcare Museum on the 9th of July, it was decided to start open operations to liberate Tartu the next morning, on the 10th of July at 7.30. On this same day, the Soviets reinforced the southern portion of the city with 300 troops blocking the most likely route the Germans would use on their advance into Tartu. The Estonian side was bolstered by three German armored cars that appeared unexpectedly and were part of a reconnaissance unit that reached Voru. There was a short engagement, and this event triggered the actual fighting for Tartu, and gave the students and Forest Brothers confidence and caused the small Soviet force in the south of the city to retreat back to the northern side. On the night of July 9th, the Soviets had attempted to destroy a local armory, but failed, and this allowed the Estonian 
resistance to acquire 300 rifles and ammunition, which were badly needed. The only Soviets that remained in the southern part of the city were stragglers, but there were enough of them to create problems, and so the Estonians went hunting for them with handguns and rifles. On the night of the 10th, the Soviet troops were reinforced, and now there was danger of them retaking the southern section of, the, of Tartu. The German armored cars had reported their contact with the partisans in Tartu, which prompted the Germans to send troops to aid in the fight. German-speaking students from Tartu helped coordinate the combined effort. More Germans arrived on the 12th and were met by accurate artillery fire being directed by Soviet troops that had hidden away in the southern part of the city and helped direct fire where needed. Because of this, a hunt was organized to neutralize the threat. During the following days, the German task force named Burdock carried the main burden of the fight for Tartu. Both sides were being reinforced and the Soviets made several attempts to push back into the southern part of the city over the next week, but with no success. Eventually, the Germans bypassed Tartu to the east between Lake Pepsi and Tartu and advanced quickly to the north. Now the Soviets that remained in Tartu had to worry about being encircled, which prompted them to retreat. With the Soviet retreat, the battle for Tartu ended. Due to the courage of some of the students and Forrest brothers, the southern part of Tartu mostly remained intact. The standstill of the front forced the Germans to augment their forces. On July 22nd, the German Wehrmacht launched an offensive from Pultsama in the direction of Mustve and surrounded Red Army Corps, defending the Sor Emayogi area. Making use of the gap that appeared in the front, the Germans quickly advanced northwards. On August 7th, they reached the Gulf of Finland near Kunda. The troops turned east at Kunda and then 10 days later occupied Narva. The attention of the German headquarters was then directed towards Tallinn, which had become the main base of the Soviet Navy in the Baltic Sea. After a battle from the 20th to the 28th of August, the Red Army abandoned Tallinn. While leaving Tallinn, 53 of the 197 Soviet warships were sunk near the Cape of Yuminda, either by hitting mines, being struck by torpedoes, or bombed. In September and October, battles continued on the western islands of Estonia. Being cut off from their main forces, the units of the Red Army could not put up prolonged resistance. The defenders of Sarama capitulated at the beginning of October. The Hiyuma garrison managed to hold out until October 21st. The German Occupation In the summer 1941, the majority of Estonians hoped to restore their independence with the help of Germany. It soon became clear, though, that the country had just exchanged its master, and sovereignty was out of the question. Estonia was made a general commissariat subjected to the German Ministry of Eastern Regions. The highest representative of German interest in Estonia was Commissar General 
Carl Sigismund Lietzmann, who brought with him a number of arrogant German officials who did not know a word of Estonian. Under the Commissar General, the Estonian local government was formed, consisting of Estonians, but subjected to the orders of the occupation authorities. The local government was headed by the former propaganda leader of the veterans, Hjalmar Mai. Local administration was carried out by county, town, and parish councils. Their leaders were not elected, but appointed, and in addition to the local government, they were subject to the German regional commissars. Massive repressions continued. This started in the summer of 1941 with illegal Forest Brother actions, but became very widespread when the German security service was formed in Estonia. Some 125,000 people were executed in the concentration camps of Estonia during the years of German occupation. The bulk of these were Soviet prisoners of war and Jews from Western Europe. There were about four or 5,000 Estonians among those killed. Most of those were communists. The people carrying out the repressions were mainly Estonians. The cultural policy which forced Germanization and National Socialism upon Estonians irritated people. The Germanization appeared in relatively moderate form, limited mainly to intensive teaching of the German language in schools. The main emphasis was laid on spreading Nazi ideology. Respective propagandist literature was published. Cultural achievements of the enemies, such as Jews, French, English, and Russians, were not allowed to be even mentioned. Part of Estonian cultural heritage was ignored, and Nazi racial theory was promoted. The first task of the Estonian economy became the supply of the German army and civilians. Meeting the need of Estonia was considered a secondary task. However, the German authorities provided extensive material support for repairing the war damage. A large contribution to restoring the Estonian economy came from the Estonian National Relief Committee, whose main task was to take over the families who had suffered in the war. Building up industry, which had suffered through evacuations and war damage, began. Special attention was directed to the oil shale mining and chemical industry, which supplied the Wehrmacht with fuel. Mechanical engineering, textile, paper, and cellulose industries were also developed. In agriculture, each farm was appointed a compulsory sales target, which was not meant to corrupt the households, but to give the farmers an interest in extending production. This was even partially achieved. Although the area of arable land and crops was lower in 1944 than in the pre-war period, the number of domestic animals was greater. The biggest disappointment was felt by those who hoped that private property nationalized by the Soviet authorities would be denationalized by the Germans. The majority of industrial and commercial establishments were declared war trophies and were given to several German corporations, 
having state monopolies. Even the process of returning residential houses was prolonged. Although the land reform was canceled, the farmers did not become landowners, but only land users. General living standards decreased. The urban population had to face especially great difficulties because the supply system in towns relied on ration cards. As the supplies received from, for the ration cards did not meet the needs of the people, a black market began to flourish. Many urban people traveled to rural areas in the hope of getting help from their relatives and acquaintances living there. The situation was even worse for the supply of consumer goods. Although the Estonians were disappointed in the Germans, no active opposition movement developed. The attempts of the communists to initiate a guerrilla war failed because of the lack of supporters. So only small sabotage groups of the Soviet intelligence forces operated in Estonia, but they were usually quickly liquidated. The nationalist forces had no choice. Although they would rather have relied on the Western countries, they did not consider it correct to undermine the military power of Germany. The defeat of the Germans would have meant to the replacement of the German occupation of Estonia with a Russian one. The attitude of Estonians to the occupying authorities was expressed by the formation of Estonian military units within the German army. In 1941, voluntary battalions formed of Forest Brothers participated in action until Estonia was liberated. After that, more than 40,000 men joined the Omakaitse, re-established by the German occupying authorities. In place of the guerrilla units, in late summer, voluntary Eastern and police battalions began to be formed, which were used on Russian territory for action, suppression of the guerrilla movement and guard duty. These units included altogether 10,000 to 12,000 Estonians. As the occupation lasted, the number of volunteers began to decrease. Recruitment to the Estonian Legion of the SS in 1942 almost failed. It took a lot of trouble to send the first unit, the Narva Battalion, to the front. In the battles for Azim, Kharkiv, and Cherkasy, the battalion demonstrated its capability, but suffered great losses. The whole legion first went to the front at the end of 1943, near Neville. In order to form the legion, compulsory mobilization of young men was carried out. Mobilization caused resentment among Estonians. They started to avoid military service. Some used fictitious medical certificates. Some hid themselves, and some left Estonia. It became especially popular to flee to Finland to fight against the Red Army with the Finns. The Finnish Infantry Regiment 200 was formed by more than 2,000 Estonian refugees and took part in the battles to defend Karelia in the summer of 1944. And that is where we will leave our narrative for today. Estonia's history has always been altered by the powers that surround it. When we meet next, 
we will see the Soviet army eventually reform, and when they returned, neither side were taking many prisoners. These were tough times. After spending so much time reading and writing about the war, I am still awestruck by the amount of cruelty that was displayed, and I look forward to covering more lighter topics. Oh, that's right. The Soviets will eventually win, and then we get to learn about the gulags. Great. Until we meet next time, Nagamiseni.